Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the storyteller is ready. So, let us begin. episode opens on an ancillary Star Wars planet where a humble krill farm is going about their day-to-day operations. Suddenly, a hostile takeover commences, and in march a bunch of, frankly, orc-like aliens that are uh, aggressive and families are hiding or running scared. Conveniently, our Mandalorian is cruising nearby in his Razor Crest and is able to land to scope out the chaos. Yes, so the Mandalorian lands because he's looking for a backwater place that he can hide along with Baby Yoda so that they're not caught by all the bounty hunters in the galaxy that are looking for them. Uh, They think Sorgan's going to be a good place to go. They get to a cantina. He realizes there's a shady character there. And so he asks the the waitress about her, uh, and then she disappears, and so he goes looking for her, uh, and then they get in a bit of a squabble and a fight, uh, but then they kind of settle each other's terms and realize they're not enemies. Uh, He meets Cara Dune, uh, and Cara just essentially, she's part of the former rebellion and says, I'm hiding away here, get lost. Um, As he's about to leave, he's eventually convinced by two of the krill farmers to stick around and essentially save the the little town and get a small payment in, in sorts and get a little bit of hiding in the process. Uh, they he goes back. They team up with he teams up with Cara Dune, uh, and they begin training the village. They kind of serve as a two member police force, like a protective bodyguard force for this sweet little town, who are in turn kind of giving them a family of sorts. They've been very welcoming to Baby Yoda, and an undetermined amount of time passes, but it seems like they've grown to be either uh, <clears throat> rather comfortable in this community, uh, and then it is kind of revealed over time that. Maybe this area is a little more dangerous than they were led to believe. There are large ATST footprints in the woods, and sure enough, then there's an attack from yet another Imperial uh, uh, League, and um, they have to defend against that. Yes, and so they essentially, they've trained the the villagers to go up against the ATST, which they intend to provoke. Uh, the Mandalorian has built a potentially semi-romantic kinship with a woman there uh, who has a daughter who has performed a particular attachment to Baby Yoda. Uh, Cara Dune and Mandalorian go to find the ATST to provoke it, to bring it into a trap where they've dug a big hole. Uh, it is a complete success. They beat up a bunch of the raiders, uh, kill a bunch of them, blow up some, and lead them back to the camp. Uh, blaster fire ensues and uh, very much return of the Jedi in the terms of sharp sticks versus blasters and um, a more powerful force but they eventually trick the ATSD to fall into the uh, into the swamp after Cara Dune uses the pulse rifle to, to shoot out uh, the, the pilot uh, and then it all falls down. Mandalorian uh, briefly entertains the idea of, in fact, leaving Baby Yoda here in this community because this is where he's safe and comfortable. Uh, he himself knows that it's best that he moves on. Uh, and they try to persuade him to stay, but he's really not having any of that. Ultimately, Baby Yoda goes with them because they are family. They are bonded as one. And he leaves behind this potential uh, romantic um uh, opportunity he has here in this family. He really could have been brought in as a, a family member of this community. And do you know exactly why he was refusing that? Was it just about his dedication to the creed? Uh, well, to a degree, it was the dedication to the to the creed, but also by him being around, it draws additional attention to it. But his goal was that he thought uh, Baby Yoda would have been safe there, but in fact, he realizes that the bounty hunters would keep coming and ultimately it'd be more dangerous for anyone else in the village because a bounty hunter does come. is about to snipe out baby Yoda right. before Cara Dune saves, saves their ass. It seems obvious to say after all these weeks talking about the Mandalorian, but my God, baby Yoda is cute in this. Oh episode. my God. This is the, this is the cutest of the episodes because it, I think this is probably the most screen time baby Yoda has. He gets a lot and he just gets a lot like walking around and you really see a lot of context for exactly how we he is. Mm. He's so teeny tiny. I have uh, many best moments, and I'll just read off all the ones at the start that are Baby Yoda related. Uh, when he's flicking the switches at the very beginning in the cockpit, in like the pilot. He's, and... Yeah, he's being such a cat here. He's just knocking um, stuff over. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And then, they've, of course, you've seen it redone a million times, right? Uh, where, uh, with like, yes, with like radio, with like music, right? And so it doesn't matter what the music is, but it's Baby, baby Yoda like flipping like into club or something. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and Mandalorian keeps having to turn it off. 
Um, you have Baby Yoda spitting out the frog and smiling at the end. Because oh, he, sipping the soup is one of the best memes the, of the series. Sipping the broth is incredible. I uh, photoshopped the, the broth out with a cake and put that on the card for Leslie oh. for her birthday. <laughs> uh, it's just the most adorable little thing. And you hear the little slurp as they're like up, as he's upside down pointing the gun at Cara Dune. Uh, you have him magically just showing up at the Mandalorian's feet and like, hey, I'm coming with you. Yeah. Uh, and then the little walking that you get to see the montage and the fact that he's able to somehow keep up and you see that he's pure puppet in that point. That's well, that's the two million dollars at work. Heavily. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's incredible there. And just in general, I mean, Baby Yoda is the star of all this. But yep. the uh, the interactions that he has, the cooing, he has more does more cooing in this episode than any other episode. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. It's worth mentioning, and you mentioned this last week, this episode in particular features absolutely no uh, Pedro Pascal in The Mandalorian Armor. Of course, he does the voiceover for mm. all the dialogue. But and he it's was, the most dialogue heavy. It was. He was not on set to shoot this episode because of a scheduling conflict. And it's really cool that they have this option because almost no show does for their mm. like lead actor to yeah. not be available. That's going to be way more problematic. And they're probably still going to want to steer away from that, but that, that they can have a guy on retainer who is the backup Mandalorian. Brendan, physic, physically speaking is pretty cool. And Brendan Wayne is his name. I wonder if that guy has a hard time convincing people that, that that's his job. And he's John Wayne's grandson. Well, that too. Yeah, I forgot that it was John Wayne's grandson. Like I said, I think that lends a lot of Western credibility. Oh, absolutely. It adds some serious street cred to his ability to do the walk. and the. I really liked, um, in particular, seeing the inside of a Mandalorian's helmet to be able to see the tracking and such. I thought that was that kind too. of cool in the episode. Well, and it really, it kind of begs the question, exactly how much peripheral vision does a Mandalorian have? Like, obviously, they're very agile. Mm -hmm. But, and and their, their lens is broad and he's he, he's able to turn his head is the same way anybody would i guess but you would think that because his his armor is so heavy and rigid that it would be cumbersome uh, i would assume it's more like a titanium in some sort i don't think it's necessarily heavy okay um but, but it's stiff also, yeah it is but it's also it is tech it's not uh it has technology embedded within it like the helmet obviously has yes. technology and even the chest plate has technology you show him uh he breaks his chest plate and i think the second episode and so well, we actually see him take his helmet off in this episode and yes you, they don't have his head on camera at the time but he's looking out at the children playing that's with baby cool, yoda that's a nice scene and he puts the helmet down next to him mm. although the window's pretty open yeah i kind of thought that too i mean He's so protective, and this is just after he has explained. I actually have the dialogue written down here. Uh, she says, so what happens if you take that thing off? They come after you and kill you? He says, no, you just can't put it back on again. Yeah. Um, and so I guess he's not spotted there. He must feel like he's, he's I like that line. covered up. It's a beautiful line. Uh, but also, the fact that he does it there represents to us that he could feel at home here. Mm -hmm. Definitely, very much so. And that's why I initially thought that we weren't going to see the mask taken off by him mm. in the, or he, in the end, he doesn't take it off. But I thought we were going to see the one time he takes off the mask in this season. I thought it was going to be a very similar moment. Yeah. But just in front of Baby Yoda, like it would have been like a family sign in that way. In the end, the last episode does have one of those similar sort of, you guys are now officially a family and so i imagine he will take it off in front of baby yoda in season two so yeah. that we're also involved in that because at least then there's the audience baby yoda and, and so it's reason for him to take off the helmet in and, season two more and so we're part of that intimacy yeah, exactly and so i think that kind of works but in what, the way they did it by showing his face in the eighth episode i thought worked as well too now i will say um i don't I don't know that I really bought the romantic tension between him and this single mother, this widowed mother in the community. I, I actually found it to be like some of the more forced romantic tension in Star Wars since Anakin and Padme. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that. I, I mean, I think it's supposed to be seen as a bit of a longer... It, it's supposed to be the life he could have. That, and so it's very much you need to be able to provide that kind of an opportunity, something very simple and sweet. But at the same time, she could handle herself with the blaster. Yep. And so she has some interesting level, level of a past. She's a widow. So how did her husband die? Maybe he was killed by the raiders. Who knows? Right. Uh, but she she seemed I, I like the character. And to be honest, I think that it could work. Um, it, interesting. He, he's very reserved, but he doesn't feel... He does seem a little bit more willing to share around her. 
I actually found there's a lot about this episode that doesn't work and it's it doesn't make it bad but I thought that it just really stands out like a sore thumb against the rest of the series I find that it's the most extractable episode of the series and uh in general, it has a Not lot the of... Tattoo- the Tatooine episode. The next episode is the most extractable episode of the series. Definitely. You can't lift it out... Uh, you can't lift the Tatooine episode out simply because of the fact that it's Tatooine. Like, it, it, it becomes no, much this, more critical. But this is how he meets Cara Dune, who becomes, who becomes a character later on. I guess, but I've got feelings about Cara Dune also. I just find that this this aesthetically, this episode feels a little too removed from Star Wars. I find the music is not Star Warsy. Suddenly, it's very folksy. Yeah, that's true. The fact that they farm krill is frustrating to me because that's Agreed. a dist. I mean, I know they don't look like Earthling krill, but couldn't you have come up with the word for whatever the fish is on this planet? Agreed. Um, I even struggle with the the reference of our human characters as humans or men in Star Wars because like it's just something you can kind of go down a rabbit hole with. Well, I had the specifically the krill element, but also the waitress was extremely from Earth. Yeah, that was the bit. Like she was extremely human, but from Earth. Yeah. So not, what, what can I get for you, cats? Yeah, not necessarily like uh, a face that's seen that knows texting. Like right. I love that you like that's a great comparison that you right. make for when like got to cast one and such. Right. Uh, but in the same way, this character uh, feels like she's straight from Earth. Yeah. Like, just like Jake Cannavale seems in the next episode, even though he's a worse actor as well. Right. She was like, it's just, you don't belong in Star Wars. You just cannot be cast. It's just not your fault. It's just who you are. Some of the Oscars campaigning for Little Women, they did this photo shoot where they all the main cast members... Uh, took photos and then the photos were edited to look like they were from the year 1865. Cool. So like really old, washed out, like no smiles on their faces. And like Sersha looks great. Laura Dern looks great. Emma Watson clearly has sent an email before. <laughs> she, just you can tell by the face. It just doesn't, yeah, something about her. So it doesn't look bad. I, it just doesn't sell as well. And it's an inexplicable uh, ineffable th- quality that some people have where they just don't work as well because they're so contemporary looking. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but you're definitely right. There's something about certain people that you just, you can't fit in certain genres. It's just not going to work for you. So Gina Carano, uh, Cara Dune, has a, a physical quality also that to me is just so, and I've, I know we torch the, this is like a video game metaphor when we talk about Mandalorian, but in this case, I think it goes too far. She's so NPC in a video game. There's just something about her that doesn't even look, she looks rendered. She doesn't look real to me. Oh, I don't agree with that. I actually, I, I quite, and I quite like her, but I also don't at all disagree with the fact that she's totally an NPC. That's, yeah. that's a, she is definitely like the, she is the side character that you do like a series of missions with in like your Rockstar video game where which you... is literally what she is in the show. Yeah, absolutely. No, it is it is the most video gamey style character if you put it that way. Yeah. Of all of them. Uh, even more so maybe the Mandalorian she's, because it's the NPC side of it. That's really quite funny. She's yeah. like jacked and she's like, here, come this way. Yep. And uh, she even kind of, she walks a little robotic. Yeah. If you were to uh, walk, if we were to walk into her, she'd be like, hey, watch it. Tons of exposition. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, no, that, that is really good. Like if you like pull it like, hey, don't hit me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think I'll grow to like her as we learn to know her a little more. I like her I more like when her. she returns later in the season. But in this episode, there's a lot of stuff that didn't work for me in this episode. Yeah, that, that is fair. And I think you, well, you, I know, I know you're not alone in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. This one was one that I liked more than I know a lot of people liked it. But even if you make me rank the episodes, it's still probably my second least favorite episode. Okay. And that speaks volumes about the season because I really quite enjoyed it. It does seem more the most um, offshoot Clone Wars episode arc okay. of any of them. Serialized. Uh, yes, but it, it very much like there's something, in, well, not something in particular. There's many reasons as to why it reminds me of this arc, but there's an Onderon arc in the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. It's where we first meet Saw Gerrera yeah. as essentially uh, if one of those two krill farmers... Uh, was a bit of a a war lover and really, really wanted to take it to the Raiders like with the full force of everything that... Then that would essentially have been Saw Gerrera's character in the Clone Wars. Well, he was just one of them. Then you meet him later and he takes it way too far in fighting back. In fact, this very storyline 
is lifted directly from a Nakira Kurosawa uh, movie. Yes. Yeah, it like, so it directly comes... It's Seven Samurai, isn't it? It's the Seven Samurai, the Magnificent Seven. Yeah. And then also that plot line was used in season two, episode 17 of The Clone Wars, Bounty Hunters. It's the same story, that episode. I watched it after I watched The, the Clone Wars today. It's very similar. The, is it the Onderon ones? Maybe. I find, honestly, I know we have a list that I'm trying to work through before the final season of, of Clone Wars comes through. I find this show boring. And I can't figure out why. I'll, I want to know what question, what episodes you've watched. Are you watching the the twenty uh, that are on yes. Disney Plus? Yeah. See, I can't necessarily say that those are great episodes. All of them. There yeah. are some of the arcs that will be picked up on again, but aren't necessarily great arcs. Like the I made a spreadsheet for you, and there are a handful of arcs in that that are not on 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 this that I know you like the Mortis arc is not in those twenty episodes. No. The Mortis arc is irrelevant for what we're probably going to see in these final in this final season of the Clone Wars. Right. Maybe not. If maybe not actually. George Lucas may have told Dave Filoni, if you can fit this in there and that would Allow me to feel sleep a little easier. Yeah, but Dave Filoni might be strictly told not to bring out any... He might not be uh, allowed to unsettle any sleeping bears where it relates to that dagger in episode nine. Oh, no, I don't... It wouldn't have anything to do with that. That dagger just became a, a different thing entirely it it, it's yeah. it's not the dagger of mortis it doesn't look like it it's nothing like it so it's season, just a it's it's a it could have just been a rock right with the writing on it season two episode uh 17 bounty hunters of the clone wars uh is in fact at the end dedicated to akira kurosawa because it's so much like the the seven samurai and i haven't seen that movie but there's a long history of how george lucas has based a lot oh, yes. of his his creative milieu on that uh that director absolutely uh and so this story is very possibly another offshoot of that well, homage you, oh definitely i'm just trying to think i don't think that is the episode i'm referring to the Onderon arc I, yeah. I, it could be uh but that there's also plenty of references and so like you said it could be there could be multiple ones, but the main reason why I'm referencing the Onderon arc is because even like the the lining up a bunch of civilians who don't know how to fight, yes, and then doing like the very I'll make a man out of you as well, right? Um, that is like straight out of uh, Anakin. I could see him instructing in the exact same way Cara Dune was doing it. One thing I'll say is the voice acting for Anakin and Obi Wan in that show is sensational. Oh my God, it's... Matt Lanter and James Arnold Taylor are beasts they i'm might. so happy you're really wa you're actually watching a couple of the episodes now. i am and i i, I kind of like it a little bit but i find it a little boring that's i understand i like fair. i like the way they serialize the opening in lieu of a crawl they have that voiceover i think that's really smart it is uh and i think the artwork of the show is really great and like i said i think the voice presentation is really great freddie prince jr is he's probably the best voice actor in star wars in terms of providing because like, Matt Lanter, he corrects Anakin in a lot of ways. So in ha like Hail to you and uh, James Arnold Taylor, Hail to you as well for bringing us like just another extension of Obi-Wan in that way. But Freddie Prince Jr., when he does for Kanan and Rebels, yeah. is, it's incredible. And so you get a good couple good voice actors in there. Like Ahsoka. Ahsoka's only ever been voice acted. She's, she's one of people's favorite characters in Star Wars. Well, when I first heard this guy do essentially Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi. Mm. I was like, that's amazing. It sounds exactly like Ewan McGregor. But Ewan McGregor's also doing a voice for that character. Mm -hmm. Hayden Christensen's not. He's just doing his own voice. Yep. And this guy nailed it. Yep. You, you mean Matt Lanter for Hayden Christensen? Yes. Oh, yeah, he is. He, I think that's a more subtle skill that he perfected than yep. the guy doing Obi-Wan, who also did a fine job. He actually, because uh, part of Ewan McGregor's approach to creating Obi-Wan was to base it off Alec Guinness. Yeah. Of course. Uh, but James Arnold Taylor, his is actually based off of both of them as well. Sure. It, so it's, it's, uh, it's a meld. It's not, but because you have multiple similarities, whereas with Hayden Christensen... They're portraying Hayden Christensen portrays Anakin in his most depressed and vulnerable moments. Mm -hmm. So of course, but he's also at most like he's nineteen and twenty three in the two times we see him, uh, and so it makes more sense that he's going to be pouty and a little bit ridiculous. Whereas the general leading an army where he's got the ability to kind of show his strut his stuff and be cocky. Um, Matt Lanter does a phenomenal job. So they do provide different angles of it, but 
of course, Matt Lanter is the is the more enjoyable Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> it just services the characters really nice, and certainly true with Obi-Wan as well, for him to bring in Alec Guinness. You know, like, because it's easy to say that Alec Guinness is, like, the quintessential Obi-Wan Kenobi, but is he no. really? I mean, like, it, sure, he was in the original movie, and those movies are, are, oh. are masterpieces, but Obi-Wan, uh, or rather, Ewan McGregor has already put in more hours as that character than Obi-Wan, than Alec Guinness ever did, and he's about to double it with and the new series. James Arnold Taylor has put in dozens and dozens yes. and dozens more hours than Ewan. Right. Uh, and so, uh, to be honest, of if you pick the a singular Obi-Wan Kenobi, I'm picking Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Uh, but that's what's wonderful about Obi-Wan is that James Arnold Taylor, Alec Guinness, and Ewan McGregor are all perfect Obi-Wans. They're 10 out of 10 for what you need in that character to be. I and agree. even Stephen Stanton, who does old Obi-Wan in Rebels. Oh, yeah. He's sensational for that as well. Interesting they got a different guy. Uh, just the, the ability to be a slightly calmer, close to just longer pauses, uh, s somewhat sweeter, rougher voice. Yeah. Yeah, it works. Okay. Now, another issue I have with this episode is the timing of it. We have the big upheaval with the ATST, and then we finish it. We finish it up. The dialogue is, um, <laughs> uh, was that the plan? Yeah, something like that. Ha, ha, ha. And then we fade away, and, mm. and then there's more episode left. Um, and then he says something about how a couple weeks ago we really we really disturbed some shit around here or something. I don't know what he says exactly, but it's, it's very surprising to me that it's been two weeks. There's something clunky and and unnatural about the pacing of the of the story that they're telling here. It is a it's, longer story. It is, and it's unclear exactly how long it is or or how we're supposed to interpret that. No, I, I really don't know. I think we're supposed to interpret that a significant time has passed and likely a longer time passed prior to the large event than after it. Yes. Or at least equal to. And so that's saying like we're showing a, like a significant amount of time, meaning that they were right in finding a hard place to find, but it wasn't, I guess, hard enough to find. I'm not really sure. Um, well, I mean, next season, the bounties won't be on Mando, so that's... That's how he gets free in that regard. But. You talked about a lot of things that won the episode, and most of them are, in fact, Baby Yoda because he's adorable. But something you didn't mention is how cool the ATST is in this oh, episode. It's phenomenal with the red uh, glowing eyes slash windows. So Bryce Dallas Howard directed this episode, and she took inspiration from her experience on Jurassic World for that scene because oh, yeah. she always felt like that. Though those those um, those devices, those machines are cool. They could be a lot scarier. And mm -hmm. so she she kind of thought of how dinosaurs have been portrayed in Steven Spielberg movies, and that's really smart. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. it's spot on with, I didn't think of it that way, uh, but now that you say it, of course, that's absolutely what she's doing. And it really embodies the movement of a dinosaur uh, more than anything. And yeah, it's that's pretty cool. Well, although dinosaurs are... I mean, some people call them the chicken walkers, um, ATSTs, because they kind of walk like a chicken. And yeah. dinosaurs are kind of like chickens. Well, so. they kind of look like T Rexes. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of see exactly. It was a really good opportunity for her, her to use that experience. And by the way, for all these critiques I have, I don't think that she necessarily dropped the ball. I'd be happy to see her do more episodes of this show. Yeah, I'd be okay with that as well. And yeah. next season, I mean, uh, we'll likely get, well, we're gonna get Favreau. We'll get Filoni. Um, and yeah, it would make sense. Maybe bring her back, Deborah Chow. I doubt we'll do another. We'll do any. Uh, Rick Famuyiwa. I really want Rick Famuyiwa from what we've seen in the two episodes that he did this season. I want him to do a handful of the Cassian episodes. Yeah. I know Tony Gilroy's involved. Uh, maybe he's directing all of it. I don't know because, he, but he's also like rewriting some parts of it. But what's his claim to fame? Tony Gilroy. He was brought in to uh, fix Rogue One. Okay. Yes. But he's not a Star Wars fan. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's weird. But they really want to keep him on the payroll. Well, he's he's really good. They brought him back in for Cassian, and now things seem to be on course. When you but, say he's not a Star Wars fan, does that just mean like ever since he was a kid, he didn't care about it, or is he like vocally this is dumb? No, he was. I no, I was no star. I wasn't a Star Wars fan. Became like I don't. I, he wasn't like vocally this is dumb. He okay, was just he's not a Star Wars fan. Any other observations about this episode? Anything we really have to say? Any quotes that stood out to you? It wasn't like it wasn't a really chatty episode. It, it was, but there was not a ton of standout dialogue True. I found. Yeah. Uh, I have some quotes. Uh, Mando is, stop touching things. Uh, you ready to lay low and stretch their legs for a couple of months, you little womp rat? Yeah, that's uh, good. You stay. Don't move. You understand? Great. Um, you can't live here anymore. Bad news. Can't live here anymore. <laughs> yeah. I kind of thought that might be a good title. Okay, I'm good with that. Yeah. Um, 
And then, so what happens if you take that thing off? They come after and kill you. No, uh, just can't ever put it back on again. So you can sit, you so you can slip off that helmet and settle down with the beautiful young widow and raise your kid here, sipping spotchka. <laughs> I like that one too. <laughs> spotchka. Yeah. Okay. I don't know what that is, but whatever they're sipping, probably while they're saying, while she says that to him. Yeah, probably so. Uh, and it's gonna break his little heart. Ugh. You're right. It wasn't. It wasn't a super quotable, but but otherwise chatty episode. And of course. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could title the episode that yeah slurp <laughs> uh trivia questions sure and just a couple other things after that but yeah trivia uh padawan question what does mando order for baby yoda the little one and first they settle in the cantina bone broth bone broth just the one um padawan question what does din describe sorgan as uh derogatorily i'll i'll know it when you say it but give it to me a backwater scug hole Oh, actually, it doesn't ring a bell. Oh, Scug really? hole. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jedi Knight question. What is the name of the daughter of the woman Mando's crushing on in this episode? The girl who really takes to baby Yoda. Winter. Winter. What is the name of the mother? I don't know. <laughs> that was my night question. Yeah. Because uh, they say Winter in the episode, I believe. Yes, they do. Uh, she says, this is my daughter, Winter. Uh, Omera. Omera. Do they not say her name? I don't believe they do. Oh, okay. No, but they do have like subtitles, um, like Omera, colon. Master question. What feline-like creature snarls at Baby Yoda early in the episode? A loth cat. Yeah. Nice. That was, I've, I always do two for each of them, and that is one of my legend questions. I'm like, uh, they're from Rebels. Yes, this is a Dave Filoni character, but this is the first live action interpretation. Yep. So yeah, Ezra is from Lothal. Ezra is the main character in Rebels yes. and Lothcats. And he also has a strong connection to nature, much like Rey in the end does in The Rise of Skywalker. I will say, it does look like it was designed by the same guy who designed the Blurg. <laughs> Like yes, they no look, kidding. it looks like it came from the same mind. Yeah, no, the Loth cat is a bit of a silly-looking creature, yeah. but it was also—it's a nice nod for sure. sure. Yeah. Uh, my legend question is: uh, What's the species of the raiders? Uh, I don't know. I called them orcs in the in the recap. Uh, they actually look more like dogs. Yeah, they're Clatoonians. Uh, oh okay they're as old as the original trilogy uh i forget whether it's return i think it's return of the jedi in jabba's palace there's some okay platoonians uh, so or on the, maybe the sail barge when luke goes all waving his saber around right i actually think i read about that when i did a little scam scan about the episode and i think it might be empire strikes back where they might turn up at some point maybe in the lineup in the bounty hunter lineup um I don't think so. I don't... No, I'm trying to pick... No, they're okay. not, none of the... But it could be Empire where they do show up at some point. Right. Okay, what else you got? Just a couple take backs. Uh, the main one I wanted to do was friggin' Pain and Panic. The uh, two annoying krill farmers. Oh, yeah, I didn't like them at all. No. And that's a great way to describe them. I felt the same way. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as they... Um, as soon as he said, hey, everyone get down, and they stand up there, and they're in the middle of the light... Just like giving all of their position away. Yeah. And like the guy, he, he talks annoying. He seems like he's from Earth. But then again, it's like he doesn't even seem bright enough to be from Earth. And what is it that they want from the Mandalorian? Like they just want him to come hang around? They know he's, they know that they're like warriors and protectors. And they're yeah. essentially like, we can't do anything. Save us. Yeah. We'll pay you very little money. We have absolutely no money. And he's like, that's absolutely not enough money. No, exactly. I can't even, I'm not even going to look at what you have in the bag. There's not enough there. What ultimately gets him to stay? Uh, because he can kind of lay low. Yeah. I, I think it's the opportunity to. And empathy. He keeps showing yes. this soft spot. Yep. Yeah, and it's also an opportunity where he's like, he can tell Cara Dune. It's like, oh, I got a job for you. And this way, it's not like we have to fight over this backwater scug hole. Scug hole. Exactly. Uh, okay, I think we're good for this episode. Yep. Okay. Sanctuary. Right. Let's. Uh, yeah, why is it called Sanctuary? I mean, I guess that's where he finds a little bit of uh, peace, but not for long. No, not for long, but that's what the episode's called. Uh, okay, what do we have in Star Wars news? Uh, not a ton. We're in a bit of a lull area. This is where it would get quiet. Absolutely. Uh, so there is uh, the third comic in the kind of... Uh, ben to Ren series, uh, the third of four, mm -hmm. uh, and it does show kind of uh, some past uh, experiences of Kylo uh, with other students. And he, like, I don't remember, I couldn't really place the time frame, but I believe it's right after he's believed to kill Luke. He accidentally kills some more of Luke's students accidentally. Oh. And so, like, 
he kind of goes on an accidental killing spree. Killing what is, a, is he like blowing up buildings or something? A, a little bit. Yeah. like, And a little bit like they're coming after him because they think he kills Luke and he's protecting himself. And so he's he, he's ultimately fulfilling the, the, the prophecy in his own head that he's this monster. And he's going around accidentally, like even when he's not trying to kill people, killing people. He wakes up and tries to protect himself. So he caves in his own hut thinking, oh, well... My uncle did just try and kill me, but shit, I accidentally just killed him too. Well, he's being oh, guided and now by I just, yeah, of course. He, he's and being I, guided by hate. Yeah, it, and so it's just it's and there's a really cool shot of him when he's just kind of joining the Knights of Ren early on. Yeah, and his outfit. He is uh, just take a look at it. It is like full black Han Solo. Yeah, he just looks like Han Solo. Yeah, he's he got like the holster sexy. and the vest. It's just like it's badass dark Han Solo. How long is Luke in hiding on Octo? Six years, I believe. So is he believed by like the greater public to have been killed by Kylo Ren for those six years? Like, I know, no, no, no. The greater public doesn't know who, Ky- like, the greater public doesn't know who Kylo Ren is really until the First Order gains some like notice in the okay. galaxy, right? Uh, and then he just kind of pops out of nowhere the same way Vader did, in the same way Snoke did, uh-huh. um, in the sense of Hux knows who Kylo Ren's family is, he knows where he comes from, yes, but. Not very many people would, and and Kylo Ren would kill probably anyone who was who had any inclination. The same. The, Why uh, doesn't Kylo kill Hux? They're not friends. Because Hux is one of the early. He, he is the heir to part of the First Order in terms of its. His dad was like yeah. in, in the system. Yeah, his dad was one of the the people that the Empire was essentially left to to create the First Order. And then some people were sent out to the Unknown Regions, which is clearly Exegol. Yeah, but especially at the end of The Last Jedi, Kylo Ren doesn't have a lot of loyalty to the traditional First Order. No, but if Kylo Ren doesn't want to have to run shit and actually do like bitch work, mm. then he can get Hux to do it because Hux is insanely power hungry. Yes. Uh, part of the reason why I think it's a little lame at how like lame Hux is in The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, I guess. We had a whole conversation about his death. I was okay with it, but I, I think the bigger issue is that uh, General Pride is kind of just out of nowhere. Yeah, he, he just kind of rises through the ranks as if from, from air. Yeah, well, he's, it's clearly because he served palpatine in the empire era has somebody given him a backstory uh no that's mentioned in the movie but oh was uh, it yeah he says as i served you in the old empire right i serve you now yeah whatever it was and um then he that was that's when palpatine basically says kylo ren's no longer with us either and so mm-hmm. he kind of takes over um, right but yeah he's also not that interesting he's he, he serves no tarkin level sinister we never really talked about him in all of our post Rise of Skywalker discussions. We never talked about Pride. He's good, but he's unnecessary. This is true. It just doesn't really work. Um, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he's just another like he fits the bill of one of the many Imperials uh, that would have existed, whether it's Gergerard from um, Return of the Jedi or, or or whatnot. Except for that, there's two different kinds of Imperial bureaucratic uh, warlord. There's the the Tarkin type who's not afraid of anything or anyone. Yeah. And then there's the kind of like frantic, kind of clumsy, like trying to cover his bases one. And I think, I guess the best that was ever achieved was by Ben Mendelsohn. But he yes. wasn't, he, because he was a more complex character than most of the guys who get their throats True. Uh, crushed. But like he wasn't a Tarkin and he wasn't a... Uh, uh, a pride either pride like he never falters no there He's, is he dies with his hands behind his back looking out at the galaxy he wants to see overthrown yeah well he, you know running a, away from like an explosion on the deck and then looking out at it because he's like well fuck yeah he's not he's not a coward about <laughs> no it, though. he's not at all but yeah. he's similar to kennedy in the last jedi in that regard yes okay uh, who goes down with the dreadnought and just right. looking at it like oh my god this mm-hmm. is how it ends yes crap <laughs> Uh, okay, what else you got? Um, the uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the video game, uh, it outsold projections for EA, uh, 10 million copies versus six to eight as their expected number. Wow. So that's a pretty big uh, change uh, in terms of uh, a video game um, for US dollars, what, 60 bucks a game. 
So you're looking at $60 million versus uh, what they expected, which would have been like 35 to, to 45. Hopefully so. that sends a message that, peep, there is certainly a hunger out there for a Star Wars RPG. Yeah, but story-based, that's really encouraging that yep. there's a higher likelihood that more of those games will happen. They beat their expectations, so shocker, EA's wrong about what the fans want. I think so. That's a, that's a crazy, crazy occurrence. Imagine. Uh, Ryan Johnson on The Rise of Skywalker. Uh, I had a blast, man. Made me so proud in seeing the heart and soul that JJ put into it and seeing my friends who were in the movie just, like, bring the whole thing to conclusion. Yeah, for me as a Star Wars fan, it was a really special experience. This is such a classy statement. Yes, it is. Yep. He's a smart man. That's what you say. And I imagine it's also probably the truth. Yes. He got to make his movie, and now he gets to be a Star Wars fan for this movie. And, and I'm for, sure he enjoyed himself. And for two years, he was a complicated figure, and now everyone loves him again. It's like, it's easy, yeah, it's easy to be nah, Ryan Johnson again. It's easy, much easier than it was before The Rise of Skywalker. He's still got a much, much, much bigger hate base than um, he probably thought possible. What do they call the first Knives Out sequel? Knives In? Knives Up? Spoons <laughs> Out? I'm serious. Is it, does it have a, a name or? And no, they, they tweeted this the other day. Like the Knives Out official Twitter were like, what should we call the sequel? Because they did announce the sequel. Yes, and, and I knew so, that. So Daniel Craig is coming back. I really hope Anna de Armas comes back. That would too. be nice. She's she's kind of the heart of the first movie. She is. The others are all expendable. No, absolutely. Just the two of them. They're yeah. the only ones that will. Obviously, and, Daniel Craig's coming back. And it's a great opportunity to get a whole new A list cast. And I think people would be down. People would be down. People would in line an up. Instant. Yeah. Absolutely, there would be somebody from mm -hmm. The Last Jedi in the next one. Guaranteed. Uh, knives out, Blanc Slate. Oh, did you did you get come up with that? I like that one a lot. Did you come up with it? Yeah, well, I read a lot of uh, inspired ideas, but I think that one was mine. That's a good one. That's yeah. a really good one. Oh, there's lots you can do. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited. I've really enjoyed Knives Out, so I'm uh, I'm uh, and I'm also game for Ryan Johnson to come back. Although somebody needs to definitely look at his dialogue. Um, although yeah. yes and no, he can write dialogue because he he wrote great dialogue for Ray and Ren, but just. Bad for Rose and Finn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, so well, like maybe just maybe it's these time limits that they keep getting. You always have to uh, consider the mouse. Yes, you oh, always the... have to consider the the interference of the the suits upstairs. Yeah, and it's unfortunate, but it's a big reality. Yes, uh, Diego Luna on the Cassian show. Uh, yes, we're doing it. We're doing it this year. It's happening, and I'm getting ready for it. Mm -hmm. So that's very encouraging. That's good. Um, uh, I can't wait. It's really cool to tell a story where you already know the ending. Uh, it's a different approach because uh, of the beauty and how it's going to happen. It's not just what happens. Uh, it's not the typical way of approaching a story. It's about how things happen, which, in fact, is the same way we did things in Rogue One. You know the ending, but you don't know how it happened. And a challenge like that in front of us, again, is exciting. So likely uh, 2021 and some of the small delays have come from the rewrites of Tony Gilroy, but everything seems to be going well. So another season of Clone Wars, another season of Mandalorian are the only original Star Wars things we'll get this year, which is fine. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and likely an animated show in the fall. Oh, okay. Oh, that's lots. And to me, that's great. Yeah. Absolutely. That works for me. Yeah. Um, and 2021 will give us a crap ton more content. Yeah. And yeah. It's the content's going to snowball up again. Uh, and in a week from now, we will be, uh, we'll find out about Project Luminous. And so that'll be a whole other set of canon, uh, probably new era information on Star Wars. Why a really week from now? What's then? Well, February 24th is an announcement. They've announced that that's going to be the announcement okay. on uh, illuminating us on Project Luminous. Are we doing a Star Wars celebration this year? Star Wars celebration, yes. It's later than usual because, um, I think in part because they don't need to be beholden to to anything. Right. And they don't have even anything coming out, yeah. like a movie at the end of the year. And so timing it for trailers and teasers in that regard but to be in the summer sometime. it's in august okay. i think and they're normally in april may right and so that must mean that there is something intentionally that they're saving for then okay so maybe it is cassian or obi-wan footage obi-wan footage not likely now but potentially cassian footage for then and uh additional maybe footage for whatever animated show maybe they'll show animated footage and then they'll be like hey it's coming out in a month <laughs> yeah which would be really cool that's great 
Uh, Mando season two, another W or I don't, I think WWE is where Gina Carano came from, but okay. Uh, WWE or maybe UFC for Gina Carano, but WWE is, uh, someone named Sasha Banks. I didn't know that she was a, a fighter first. Yes, is Gina, that right? Yeah. She was a fighter before she, she was, was in Deadpool. Uh, she was in Deadpool. She was also in a movie called, um, uh, hereditary. I think is what it was. Oh, no. Okay. Um, Haywire, something with an H. Okay. Um, and she got, uh, and she was apparently terrible in that. Oh. Uh, and so I think trending wise, John Favreau worked with her a lot. And I think she really, she seems like an incredibly nice person in cool. interviews. And she loves everything about the character and what she's doing with Star Wars. So I'm excited for her to be involved in that regard. And she seems to be trending upward on her acting abilities. So that's a good thing. That's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so another person who brings physicality to their role. Right. So that's just encouraging just in the sense that that's what they're going for for certain people, uh, that they're really looking for physical performers as well as acting performers. Of course. Uh, Kevin Kiner is back, and he did the scoring for The Clone Wars uh, all through, and he's coming back for the final season. What so I've heard is good. I, I do like it. It is excellent scoring. Yeah. He is really, really fantastic. And so uh, that is encouraging to have that back. Uh, I got to watch uh, Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens over the weekend mm. just because I had a bit of time and I was exhausted and didn't really do anything else. And so you I, decided on those two as a double feature? Yeah. I yeah. just kind of wanted to watch those ones. Uh, and I was just thinking in general about Star Wars after watching The Rise of Skywalker again. And I, in the past, had kind of uh, ranked my Star Wars and given them a score out of uh, a Star Wars uh, absolute. So like the, the passing mark of, of a Star Wars content failing to meet it would be you need to get above the five yeah and your perfection of star wars empire is a solid 10.0 mm-hmm. and so for me uh i did bump up a new hope a little bit uh to from 9.5 to a 9.7 <laughs> bumped up force awakens from an 8.8 to a 9.1 spectacular movie um bumped down rise of skywalker from 7.9 to 7.7 okay not much uh but bumped up the Return of the Jedi from an eight point seven to a nine point two. Oh, that's a big bump. That movie, like, it's a, a half a point. Yeah, it was, and that bumps it up ahead of uh, Force Awakens, which really between those always bounce back and forth between each other. And the Force Awakens, like, I liked it. Like, I even increased its rating. But yeah. comparatively to what a Star Wars movie is. Uh, the Force Awakens has some repetitive themes, of course, but it checks fucking every damn box you could want. It so does. And so much of what we have that is Star Wars comes from Return of the Jedi, and it's they're truly impressive movies that the creativity that they have. And watching that throne room scene with Vader, Luke, and Palpatine versus the Rise of Skywalker throne room scene, uh, it's it's just very very different and uh you could really feel the weight in return of the jedi more than um rise of skywalker and i i in an important way but one that i didn't feel it also took away from return of the jedi uh having seen the the rise of skywalker it didn't take away from it it just made that moment almost stronger i tend to agree i almost want to watch that throne room scene again in comparison to to raise like in the belly of the beast scene at the end of Rise of Skywalker. Uh, but I, the I, rage of Luke yeah. is so good. I think the dialogue's probably stronger. There's a little bit oh, it's more, way stronger, more yeah. room for chatting. So the last time I saw Return of the Jedi was when we watched it in 20s for this podcast. I'd probably mm. do for a, a watch in one sitting. But one of the criticisms we've had and other people have had about that movie in general is that it's a two-act movie. It doesn't have a middle act. Yep. Uh, it goes straight from like initial um, setup to ultimate climax. And mm-hmm. did you find that when you rewatched it? How did you feel this time? Uh, I did, but I didn't have anything wrong with that. Okay. Uh, to be honest, I kind of liked it in the sense that there should be more opportunity for freedom in how the story is told with Star Wars. Yeah. Uh, yes, you have the clear three acts of Empire. And Empire is the golden Star Wars movie. But in that same vein, it does, nothing. not everything needs to fall to that. And so no. I was kind of okay that it doesn't necessarily have like that three-act structure. And The Rise of Skywalker doesn't have that necessarily three act i mean it kind of does but not really it's kind of like got like a like 10 acts it's kind of all over the place in that regard where same was same with revenge of the sith though um attack of the clones another one that has arcs Mm -hmm. um same with so the middle movies seem to have much more clearly defined arcs 
Um, I, I think Phantom Menace very clearly is a three-act movie. Yep. I, I mean, most movies are. That's the tradition of yep. screenplay writing. Yep. No, and, and that's fair. Um, but to be honest, like, uh, the, the, other than that stupid extra music, that Jabba's Palace is just so cool. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. And just the disguise work. And uh, yeah, I mean, we've all seen Return of the Jedi, so I can talk about it all day. But... Yes, I think I have seen it. Maybe yes. I'll watch that tonight. Yeah, no, it was a good one. I was glad to be able to watch those couple ones again. What else you got? So I did go through and I said I would do this before. And I looked at the best parts of Duel of the Fates and, and The Rise of Skywalker and tried to see, seeing as JJ had these scripts all on hand, if we could have gotten something better than what we had received based on all the information that they already had. Yes. And so because the end product we got was Rise of Skywalker, I will use that as the template and the bones for... Uh, this kind of merged version. Mm -hmm. uh, call it Duel of the Fates because it's a better title. Yes. So we're going with that part. Uh, it's a gratifying title. It just... If, if that had been the announcement and they were like, by the way, we're announcing the title and a trailer's coming out today and you saw that it was Duel of the Fates... You, people would have lost their minds. Yeah, you, your job would have hit the floor. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that you would have seen on lists for like Reddit, but I would never would have thought they would have had the balls to do it. I don't remember seeing it on lists. Oh, I did, but I, didn't, I never thought, I thought there's, that one's too inside baseball, and ultimately it was true. Uh, Disney it wasn't going for it. But, right. Uh, crawl. The iron grip of the First Order has spread to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Only a few scattered planets remain unoccupied. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence while Rey and the Resistance train for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren rages in search of the last hope of the Jedi, determined to destroy any threat to his power. Yes. Nothing about dead speak. Right. Sets up the state of the galaxy. You got the Resistance on spying missions. You got Kylo off searching and doing his own shit. Mm -hmm. uh, and so if you want to start out, uh, we start out the Rise of Skywalker where Kylo's on his missions. And so, as opposed to him going from Mustafar to Exegol, let's have him start out where he's slaughtering a village of creatures, just like he does on Mustafar. Uh, as opposed to these creatures being on Mustafar, they are on, not Keth Burr, but the ocean moon of Endor. Let's right. call it what it is. Yes. So, he's slaughtering a village in the ocean moon of Endor. You see a sequence where he rides on one of those uh, skiff things that Ray steals, he goes to the Death Star. He climbs up through it, mirroring Rey's uh, crawling through the Star Destroyer in The Force Awakens. He gets to the top. Uh, he goes to where the Holocron is and fights Vader there, as opposed to Rey fighting herself. Yeah. He gets the Holocron. Uh, the Holocron can have uh, a message from Palpatine. Palpatine telling uh, the exact same way that Colin Trevorrow had it for his script, but as opposed to go to Vader, take Luke to Tor Valum, and he'll teach him the ways of the Force. Vader, take Luke and this holocron, gather your things from Mustafar, and um, teach Luke the true meaning of the dark side on Mortis. Okay. Uh, bring him to the altar of Mortis. Do it in that way. So we're, you can have essentially everything that's occurred as before, and then you can send Kylo on to Mortis. Sorry, to Mustafar. He can go to Mustafar, and from there, he can go into Darth Vader's castle. It's making it a little bit more obvious. And he can gather, and he can get uh, the Dagger of Mortis. Of all people in the galaxy to have been able to go and collect uh, the Dagger like the dagger of Mortis uh, throughout their hunting years would make sense to be Vader's 25 years he spent searching for Sith relics for the Emperor and as one of the as the true heir of the Force and of Mortis, it makes sense that Vader would have maybe found uh, the Mortis dagger. Right. And he would have kept his items on, on Mustafar. So how, Kylo can go there, and then you can start out with the Resistance doing their own thing as you normally would. They're doing the light skipping. And so as opposed to getting like a USB drive from Bulio, uh, they pick up Rose and BB-8 who are disguised uh, and on a mission. Okay. Just like in Trevorrow's script. And that brings Rose in with everybody else. She gets a little bit more to do. Great. They go back and they meet up Ray while she's doing her training. As opposed to Ray's training starting out with her trying to talk, be with me, Jedi. Because uh, that didn't make a ton of sense. Uh, I didn't mind the execution of it later on. Right. On Exegol, but I didn't. It didn't make sense. It's, it's, it was never a thing before, like trying to summon all of Force ghosts. Sure. Um, and you can have it start out mid-training. And then you can have her rest, uh, save the slug there. You need to do that foreshadowing about not killing something and, and healing it. Have her heal the slug during that process. Um, but you also give her the double-bladed lightsaber um, because 
that was the better choice in my opinion between the two it was set up for Trevorrow to use the double-bladed lightsaber for that movie and it also means that you mean keep the graflex busted keep the graflex busted merge it with her saber yeah and make it a double-bladed blue lightsaber sure my personal want was for the graflex to be repaired with like maybe a part of her staff and that it was going to be a a uh, shaky saber like Kylo, or the, yeah. who's going to have a broken blade, but that wasn't in either of their visions. So of the two, I think the double-bladed lightsaber is better than her ending up with a different lightsaber that we never get to see used. Right. Uh, and so in that vein, and also in the sense that she had one in that vision, but didn't get to use it either. Uh, so then you can cut to Coruscant to show a different state of the galaxy. So you can have Hux speaking as Chancellor so you, on Coruscant, and so there's odes to the prequels you have him talking to um like a staff of his peers similar to the kind of the boardroom scene in a new hope mm -hmm. these were both from Trevorrow's script it uh cements hux as chancellor uh and it allows to establish some of his connection with kylo ren that kylo's off searching for things and he's like what the hell are you searching for you can do the allusions to hux wanting to to know more about the force uh you can have kylo come back come to coruscant before he goes to mortis uh, and so while he's on Coruscant in his lair there, as opposed to smelting down Mandalorian armor or repairing his uh, helmet with red crap, have him melt down Vader's mm -hmm. and put his helmet back together using Vader's helmet, a uh, melted Vader helmet. That's cool. But have the melted Vader helmet, uh, and this, this one is a little bit of me thrown in there that just was too good when I came up with it. <laughs> have the Vader helmet melt into... Uh, a semi kind of like ashen bluish whitish not like so not in the same not melt black so that the cracks look almost like force lightning on his helmet oh wow okay now also think when vader's helmet was electrified and also how we believe palpatine has been in vader's helmet talking to kylo ren now you have kylo ren wearing a helmet that has Palpatine around his face. Also, it's stylized in lightning that was electric, like that basically was impugned in there by Palpatine right. to Vader's helmet. Right. And so it's like he's wearing it without even realizing. And you can have, uh, we'll get to that in a second, but that really goes to show the true, like just his, he's controlled. He doesn't have any agency in that capacity. He's being animated by someone else altogether. Yeah, yeah, in that way. And so that builds on it too. And then you can have the the force fights, uh, the flash fights between him and Rey while he's on Coruscant. So you can still establish some things there. Uh, erase Pisana and Kajimi and replace them with Bonadan, mm -hmm. uh, which was the more uh, Southeast Asian looking version of Kajimi. So it's not cold, but it's got some water. And as opposed to uh, them searching for some like... Oshi's ship and they get a they randomly find a knife uh on Bonadan and Trevorrow's script they're looking for Poe's uncle who is a seer which he has uh force sensitivity with the ability to help people remember because mm -hmm. Ray is having nightmares uh which mirrors Anakin that was in Trevorrow's script yep. uh you can have more information be sh shed about uh the vision that she had in the Force Awakens that way so it aligns a little bit more allusions to who she is uh and so she needs to be able to find information uh and he will help her kind of extract her memories and so she can learn uh that she is truly in the end nobody mm -hmm. but that her parents were were killed mm -hmm. and so that she was wanted for some reason but that she learns that her parents were slaughtered in the end you can make it by the knights of ren doesn't really matter and uh, that just makes her angrier. But on Bonadan, as opposed to doing the Pasana uh, chase where you have uh, the speeder and then an X-Wing comes and she cuts that in half, uh, do it so that one of the Knights of Ren comes in on an X-Wing and then she chops it off, uh, one of the, the wings, mm -hmm. kills one of the Knights of Ren there. Um, and then she can fight off against the Knights of Ren after they do a, a, like a water skiff chase which is in Trevorrow's script as opposed to a sand one because you can merge the two on the same planet. Right. Um, and then within that same vein, she can then go in, uh, along with Poe and Finn and Chewie. They can fight a couple of the Knights of Ren. They can kill a couple of the Knights of Ren. That way you can do Chewie doing the clay pigeon thing, which I think would be right. cool as living hell. Yeah. Chewie can, hopefully in the future, he gets an opportunity to skeet shoot somebody. Yeah, that would be super cool. <laughs> uh, but the Knights of Ren, I just, I can picture like the clanking sound of the armor and yeah. all of those things. That yeah, works with Stormtroopers. It really, 
it would work. Oh, that's true. It could yeah. work with stormtroopers quite well. And it does kind of in The Force Awakens where he's shooting a lot of them in that regard. Yeah. Um, but when you have them all in Bonadan, she can electrocute one of them as well. And so she kind of realizes her disturbing powers in that regard. Uh, but she also has the Force texts. And so as opposed to... I don't even remember what she learns in the Force texts. Uh, she learns about um, Wayfinders in the Force texts in The Rise of Skywalker. Right. Uh, as opposed to that, maybe she learns a map to Mortis. Uh, uh, okay. Or better yet, no, she learns about the beacon mm-hmm. um, that they find out on Coruscant. Mm-hmm. And so that's what takes them to Coruscant so that we have all of our people in Coruscant. And then you can do the ground swell. Uh, now, there's a character named Dade in Colin Trevorrow's script, which is a, a, for, a former stor- or a stormtrooper that Finn knows, who he meets and kind of gets to turn, and then they can turn their, uh, then he turns the battalion that, and starts that is That is missing from this movie. Absolutely. That, that is absolutely uh, an essential uh, conclusion for, for Finn's legacy. And then you can just replace Janna, who is a stormtrooper whose entire, uh, uh, what are they called, um faction not um her, her lead, company legion? her company her yeah. company uh, her entire company lays down their weapons right like you can have that moment we can actually see that moment and then they can go up against the the first order you have the atsts from the empire era just redone like you see in the mandalorian mm. with like the red paint on them so you can even do a, a nice homage there they're, they're stylized in colin trevorrow's script like it is in the mandalorian okay it's supposed to be a, a tie-in sure which is really cool that the paint job in the mandalorian was supposed to be the paint job of the rebellion in uh, rise and duel of the fates yeah so that would have been cool um but then you can have that really cool army battle you can have hux go in a in a better way i like the suicide thing but you can at least have him um be a big baddie on that war okay um, you can have Ray go to Octo to still have that moment, um, but Kylo has gone to Mortis. Uh, he's brought the Holocron, he's brought the the Sith Dagger, he's covered in Palpatine's helmet, uh, and then you can have the I've Been Every Voice You've Ever Heard Inside Your Head. Right. He brings the Holocron to the Altar of Mortis. He brings himself and the Mask, and the Holocron is essentially what a Sith passes their legacy through. Now... The Altar of Mortis, the most like powerful force virgins in the galaxy, a holocron, a possessed Kylo Ren with a mask. Great opportunity to bring Palpatine back to life. Mm. That's some force. The monastery on Mortis is looks exactly like the world between worlds. It's designed to look like the world between worlds, which is how it was heavily implied throughout Rebels that Palpatine was trying to find a way to eternal life. Okay. I was trying to hack his way into gaining the most powerful force capability in the world. Yes. Now, you can have this entire thing occur, and then the Emperor's brought back to life, and Kylo is, as opposed to being like, I'm going to turn on the Emperor later on after I we take my hand, right? Uh, he, he Palpatine controls him, a little yes. bit like a puppet. And then Rey gets to Mortis because time uh, stands pretty still on Mortis, Kylo Ren could have been training with Palpatine for a bunch of time. And so he's oh, that's interesting. He's scary as fuck and dangerous when they fight. Yeah. And Mortis is so powerful in the Force that you're going to get as good, if not a better fight, than you get on the Death Star on them there. Have Rey kill Kylo the same way. Then you get your Han Solo moment. Yep. Then you have Rey going up to... Yeah, you mean specifically Kylo, like take the Kylo out of Ben Solo. That's the thing. Yeah. Now you have an even clearer possession angle. Right. And then when you have Rey going up to the monastery to face Palpatine to realize what her place in is, is in all this because of the visions that she's had, she can learn of the fact that she's linked with Ben Solo and if she's a nobody and she was wanted by Palpatine, what does that mean? Oh, she's just like Anakin. She's born of the Force. Yes. You don't even have to. You don't even have to say that. It's just mm. obvious. Yeah. And that, like, that's not even putting my conjecture in there because if you make her a nobody, don't give her the last name Solana in the end. No. Oh. Uh, and then so, which she, they didn't, to be fair. No, Trevorrow wanted to. Right. Um, and then so you can have that moment occur, and as opposed to having the the passing the saber the graflex you can do the passing of the dagger the sith dagger whereas kylo will have that and can hand it to ray mm-hmm. ray can kill palpatine um that ray is like exhausted kylo makes his way to the top of the monastery trades his life to her 
You get the Rise of Skywalker ending there. Isn't ben it, Solo is redeemed. Isn't it problematic if Rey kills uh, Palpatine, though, because then all of his power will go into her? And You can still have that be the thing. Yeah. You can, but like, that's like, you can, like, you could have that be the thing and have even the Sith dagger mm-hmm. be what she's deflecting lightning back with. It's not just a lightsaber. It's something with extra power. It's uh, an item being brought in sure. for significance, not just being brought in and then bringing validation to something else that already existed that doesn't line up to the way that it had been already pre-established as the capability. So you could use the Sith dagger in that way, or you could have Ray pass it to Kylo in some way, um, or you could just not have this whole I become you, you become me, we all live in harmony together um <laughs> if you kill me we're the same thing or you can just have it so that ray extinguishes palpatine because you're allowed to kill the biggest baddie of all time it's, yeah. it's not going to make you the biggest baddie of all time no. necessarily and right. i'm not against that in the rise of skywalker but you don't need to make it a thing yes uh and then you can have ray go back out uh to join the rest of her her crew and then you could even give her that same skywalker ending where she picks her last name and it makes even more sense because if she's just like Anakin, takes the Skywalker name because she doesn't have one, um, it could also mean a lot more for the galaxy because who else is kind of like her brother? Finn? Finn. Yeah. Finn doesn't have a last name either. No, he doesn't. And that's a nice kind like you don't necessarily need to give it to him in that regard, but you can kind of put a little bit of homage to the way that Luke and Leia... Our, sister, our brother and sister Skywalkers right. have realized at the end. That's a nice balance. You can have a nice balance that way. And then you can have Rey coming back um, to to where like Rey goes off a little bit on a, like a Jedi adventure. But you can have her burying the lightsabers and then coming back to where like Finn's with a bunch of kids or something. The way Trevorrow's was supposed to end and that she's there to train them. That's really nice. It's really good. And it would have to be longer, which is fine. I just rewatched Endgame, by the way. And it's like, it's so long and you're not once bored or frustrated with how long it is. I went through scene by scene to make sure like it wouldn't like be appropriate. Like I actually read the Trevorrow script. It's available now. Yeah. Um, And I I don't think it would need to be longer, but it doesn't have any plot holes. And I didn't, none of it's mine. Yeah. Um, That's, that's not me like coming up with an amazing script because I couldn't write either script. I'm not capable of writing. I don't know if that's true. I was just thinking as you were uh, narrating that for me, I wonder if you and I could write episode 10 just as fans and like, cause you have so much knowledge. That would be fun. It would be really fun. It'll be a lot of fun. Really capable. Release the 66 cut. We'll put it online. Ooh, that'd be fun. (laughs) But I mean, that was all stuff that Trevorrow and JJ were completely like they had it all yes and you can hear the pieces even like the dagger like jj i think went too far to try and make it his own thing and he he didn't take enough of the gold that trevorrow wrote because trevorrow although he got wrong the most fundamental thing about star wars uh in the sense that you can't have like it's fine if ray kills palpatine she can't use rage to kill kylo mm-hmm. she can't rage and then murder someone that's right. a different situation and that's what trevaro i think that was probably reason number one why he got fired this is kind of a unique situation for disney because they were trying to land a ship that they didn't launch in the future they should be able to to bring things to a satisfying ending because they were always in creative control they didn't have all of this complicated history of a series that's been in the running since 1977 and so in a way considering how disney has this reputation for being very controlling and and maybe sometimes lacking in the soul necessary to mm. to to land such a vessel they were always going to make a camel out of episode nine and that's unfortunate to to stomach but it was probably always going to happen not that it's bad i still like that movie but it's a bit of a camel True, but you could say that... Think about it like the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Think about Star Wars like the Millennium Falcon. It was resting and collecting dust on Jakku when Disney decided to fly it again. Yeah. They flew it not knowing where they were going. Yeah, that's true. A little bit. And then they changed pilots midway through a bunch of times, and so they just... they. They were chasing their own tail. It didn't work for them. And so as much as they didn't launch the ship, they relaunched it. Mm-hmm. And they relaunched it not knowing where they were going. Well, I would argue that J.J. Abrams doesn't always know how to finish a story. He oh. started a lot of great stories. No kidding. And then bailed and left somebody else to finish it. Whether it worked out or not, that's been inconsistent. But maybe yeah. he's not the guy to hire if you're trying to land the Falcon. Well, it's weird because like 
you can make the case that maybe some of the stuff is set up that make that makes sense for her to be a Palpatine based on uh, The Force Awakens. It's not at all linked in The Last Jedi. And The Force Awakens, they're weak connection points. Mm-hmm. Now, there's another one that I find funny, uh, Talama Palquan. Yeah. That's what she says to uh, BB-8? T- Tito. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, who's trying to steal BB-8. Force Awakens. It's an anagram for Emperor Palpatine. Oh, okay. So, but like, that's a weird thing that someone found somewhere. Um, and then the fighting style and the fact that she's British. But like, there's not that many, like, they're pretty weak connection points. They are. And so it's kind of surprising that seeing as JJ has so many things that seem like incredible mystery boxes uh, in episode seven, that he he didn't do a very good job of uh, necessarily making the payoff on those mystery boxes any good. Because that's not necessarily a crack at the Rise of Skywalker, but the mystery boxes were about her heritage and Snoke. And Ryan Johnson changed the pathway on those. Yeah. And so JJ, as opposed to following um, yes anding yes anding or even yes anding back to uh, like what he was maybe originally going for i think he just changed his mind went to like a totally different direction a third maybe. direction yeah, yeah maybe and so that would be a bummer but probably reality maybe in episode 10 maybe we'll see all right a happy birthday to on wednesday the 19th benicio del toro and friday the 21st sir anthony daniels is he a sir i feel like he's a sir oh that's a good question anthony daniels i think so Happy birthday to that guy. Now, um, I had a hard time coming up with some kind of gotta cast one, which was relevant to today's popular culture because the Oscars are over now and we're in a bit of a a pop cultural lull. I didn't want to do a Jim Carrey one just because Sonic is out. I didn't know who to pair him with and I don't want to put him in Star Wars. James Marsden? Oh God. Ben Schwartz? Um, No, but they are just about to close the deal at HBO Max on the Friends reunion. And so I thought, if you gotta cast one in Star Wars, do you cast Jennifer Aniston, Courtney Cox, Lisa Kudrow, Matthew Perry, Matt LeBlanc, or David Schwimmer. Interesting. So no one told you Star Wars was going to be this way. No. <laughs> um, let's start picking them off. No to Jennifer Aniston. No Jen Aniston. Just no. No. Does not fit to Hollywood. Easy. Uh, same with Courtney Cox. Agreed. Also the Botox. She looks better now than she did. That's right. You can kind of reverse Botox a little, can't you? Um, those are the same two I would knock off first. Matt LeBlanc. You see, I just you can maybe try. Like, if you can't get Nathan Fillion for the role, maybe you get Matt LeBlanc <laughs> for the Galaxy Far, Far Away. I mean, it's it seems but, because he's so good at being silly, yeah, and kind of daffy, like, uh. That he would make a good droid or whatever, but then no. he still sounds like he's from Queens. Yeah, like, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't put him for that. And so it's tough to make him fit in the galaxy far, far away. David Schwimmer would be great as a droid um, or a weird alien. Sure. Um, and same with Matthew Perry, I think, uh, on both accounts. Yeah, he's, I don't know. he's got sarcasm that he can pull off something robotic. Uh, and Lisa Kudrow. I'm into Kudrow. In could, Star Wars. Uh, I think she could do. Maybe anything. Yeah. She could maybe be a human, uh, an alien, or a droid. Uh, I think I'm going to go with droid swimmer, alien Perry, human Kudrow. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna ditch Perry. I'm between Schwimmer and Kudrow also, and I think I'm going Kudrow. I think that she is the most easily placed into Star Wars. And I think she's virtuous, and I think she's a person. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I'd say, and I think she plays for comedy. I think you, I think you would, I would rank those three appropriately to third place alien uh, Matthew Perry, second place robot David Schwimmer, sorry, droid David Schwimmer, and uh, Lisa Kudrow, human. That's, that's the right choice. All right, okay. Well, let us know who you cast in Star Wars. Send along your thoughts at Recorder Six Six on Twitter, Recorder Sixty Six at Gmail dot com, Recorder Sixty Six Podcast at Gmail dot com. Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. Uh, by next week, we're going to have watched the end of Chapter Five, first season of The Mandalorian. So you can join us for that. And until we're together again, may the Force be with you.